You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Man, so good to be um, kicking off our Vision Builders series in large. And, um, you know, the, it's important to know that the reason that we were able to open up our doors on, on August 23rd of last year um, amid the, the lockdowns and the shutdowns, say, hey, you know what, we're, we're kind of done here. We're going we're gonna to open up knowing that our local community needs the house of God. The only reason we were able to do that is because of vision builders, because we own buildings. If we were leasing, renting, then landlords would say, no, you guys can't. And actually our El Cajon campus experienced that. At, at that time, they were um, leasing a space and the landlord said, hey, no, you cannot open. You can't do it. But because of all of our other campuses owned buildings, we were able to open up. And the reason that we own buildings is because of vision builders. And so um, this is my favorite like series that we do all year. I love vision builders, which even that is a crazy miracle, which we'll get to here in just a second. And so we're going to have an opportunity as a church family here in a few weeks to, uh, to pledge to vision builders for, um, uh, this coming year. But I want to just do some, lay some groundwork this week. And as pastor Jurgen mentioned, sort of the, the theme verse for this, um, series is Isaiah 54. And it's going to be on the screen, Isaiah 54, two through three. It says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare them, lengthen your ropes and strengthen your pegs for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Now, newsflash, when it says enlarge the place of your tent, it's not talking about you. It's not talking about your personal tent and your personal wealth and your personal It's talking about the church. If you know your Bible, you know that Isaiah 53, the preceding chapter, is a very famous Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, where it says, by his stripes we are healed. And the prophet Isaiah is talking about this coming Messiah that's going to save the world, that's going to reconcile um, men to the God that made them. And then Isaiah 54 opens with, so enlarge the place of your tent. What he's saying is you better build bigger churches because I'm about to fill them in Jesus' name. It's not about you and your tent. It's about building the church. That's what this series is all about. That's what everything we teach around finance is about here at Awaken Church. Now, one of the beautiful things is if the resource of God is flowing through you, then you get wet. There's blessing that will come on you just by proxy, but it's not about you. God doesn't want to bless you so that you can live in a rap video and buy a bunch of Maseratis and have all of your wealth terminate on you. The Bible says that we are blessed to be a blessing. That is the covenant that was promised to Abraham, that we're blessed to be a blessing. God said to Abraham, through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what Vision Builders is all about. So my goal today, I'm believing God, that there are scales that are gonna fall off eyes today. That for whatever reason, maybe it's your your current financial position, maybe it's how you grew up, maybe it's mistakes you've made in your past, whatever, you are unable to see right now the big vision, the great adventure that God has for you in your career and business with your finances and scales are actually gonna fall off of your eyes today and you're gonna actually say yes to the great adventure that God has for you in Jesus' name. Come on. So to start things off this series, we're gonna do a little little self-assessment 
I'm going to ask you some questions. Those will be my points. So just kind of help locate us and help help us kind of kind of see where we're, um, how we're thinking about money, how we're speaking about money. So the title of my message is "The Pulse of Prosperity." The Pulse of Prosperity. Now, it's hard to even express the unbelievable irony of me preaching a message that has the title prosperity in it. Only my wife understands it's ridiculous, okay? I grew up in a family. We didn't grow up, you know, poor, but we grew up paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. My, my, my parents were doing the best they could, but just could never steward money well. It was always like money in, money out. We were always living in this place of high stress, always wondering how we were going to make it. The IRS uh, was always after my parents. The bank foreclosed on our home. And it was just always this constant cycle. And I, I just was never taught how to steward money well at all. And you certainly don't learn it in public schools, okay? Don't teach you there. I didn't learn it at home. So I entered this world just no clue about anything in regards to money and then went to a church before this one where the word prosperity was a, it was a curse word. I mean, if you, if you uttered it inside the doors of the church, you would be given 30 lashes out back. It was a, you just don't say that. You don't say the word prosperity. And so the, I would say that in our eight, nine years of being here, probably the greatest miracle, and, and a lot of you guys have been around a little bit, heard, you know, Katie and I have, have seen God do amazing things in our world. And I think actually the greatest miracle in my life is my mindset and my relationship with money. And not because, and listen, there's people in this room that are way more, more successful than Katie and I, but it's about where we started, okay? It's about where I started. So we're going to do a little self-assessment here. I'm going to ask you a few questions. We'll just kind of reflect on them together. I'm doing this too. I'm, I'm, I'm assessing myself, so we're in it together, okay? Number one, do you take scriptures out of context to justify your current financial position? Now, you can do this both ways, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be indiscriminate here. There's going to be people that, that do that for their, to justify their good financial position and people to justify their bad. I'm, I'm an indiscriminate uh, person up here, okay? We're going to go after both. Jeremiah 29.11, we all know it. It's on coffee mugs in every cabinet of every Christian in America, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we just take that and we say, oh, look at that. It's amazing. Prosperity coming my way. Dollar bills are just going to fall onto my head. I'm going to trip over stacks of cash. It's going to be amazing. But if you take that out of context, then you are actually setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment. That verse was spoken to the Israelites while they were in Babylonian captivity. Things were going really, really bad for them. And that was actually a promise to them saying, I know that you're in a dark place now, but I have plans to prosper you. If you think that, man, if you follow God, that just money just grows on trees and there's never going to be a single struggle, no trial, no tribulation, no, then you're going to be shocked when God lets you struggle. And he does. God will let you struggle. Why? Is it because he's a meanie head? No, he's a good father. He's a good father. There are things that you are praying for in your life that you're actually not ready for. And if God were to just say, sure, here you go, it would actually crush you. And so actually God withholding 
your requests is not him being mean. It's not him trying to, you know, show you that he's in control and you're not. It's actually, no, no, I can't give this to you yet because you're not ready. And I'll give you an example. Several years ago, um, I got invited to, to meet up with a group of guys here at this campus to, to pray in the mornings, to pray at 5.30 in the morning. And we do that on Tuesdays at men's prayer. But this was like, uh, uh, you know, outside of that kind of extracurricular men's prayer. And um, a lot of you know the story. I was living in Oceanside at the time because Katie and I were building a home down here and it was under construction. So I got up at like 4.15 in the morning to make it down here to pray with these guys. And it was a, a moment, a time in, in our life um, about three, four years ago where we were still kind of getting the financial wheels greased a little bit. And things were, it wasn't all just, you know, things weren't flowing like I would have liked and, and things were tough. And all of the guys that I was meeting with were some of the really, really big heavy hitter business guys at this campus. And so I would show up at 530 in the morning and it would be like Marco's Range Rover, Rudy's Bentley, Chris Aguilar's Mercedes. And then I'm rolling up in my 2003 Honda Civic and I would actually park it, this is true, and it's embarrassing. I would park it behind a bush out there because I didn't want them to see my car. So it just kind of was like, would park there and then just kind of, it's like, there's like 30 spaces right up here in front, like right by the door, but I'm parking out there. And so in every week, we, or every, it was every day, uh, I'd, I'd show up and, I, and again, I was in Oceanside, so I only came like three times a week, but these guys were meeting every day and it would, we'd kind of start with like, you know, how things are going. It would just be like so frustrating. You know, Rudy's like, oh yeah, I needed $175,000 in cash flow for my business. And I got a check in the mail and boom, there it is. And Marco would be like, oh, oh yeah, I just had the biggest weekend ever in my business's career. So great. Abundance, prosperity. Ha ha ha. And then I'm here just like, Katie and I are just hoping that somehow we can, this house that we're building that we'll be able to, to pay for somehow. And we're just limping by, just, just struggling our way through it, just living on a prayer. And it was so discouraging to me. Now, the interesting thing is, Holy Spirit spoke to me because I'd actually prayed for that several weeks ago. I actually prayed, God, will you put me around people that are more, more successful than me so I can learn from them? So here I am in the midst of this blessing, and I'm so discouraged that I almost quit going. And it would have been super easy. I was driving from Oceanside. It'd be a pretty easy excuse, like, hey, guys, I just can't swing it anymore. It's just too much. Just, I can't make it happen. And it, it showed me that my character, my self-worth, the way that I thought about money, my understanding of, of, of um, the way God thinks about money was not in a place where I could even handle being around people more successful than me. There are things that you're not ready for that you're praying for. And God is not just going to be like, yeah, sure, I'll give you a billion dollars, boom, and then your life falls apart, you, you and your wife get divorced, your kids hate you. Like, why would God do that? That would be a terrible thing to do. It's like when my kids ask to eat cake for breakfast. I'm like, yeah, sure, you get, you got it. They'll be puking in the morning before school, right? God's a good father. He's not going to just, anyway, I'm getting distracted. That was not even part of the message. Here we go. What was it? Thank you. Oh, yes. Now I remember. Do you take scriptures out of context to justify your current financial position? And you can do that on one side. You can do it on the other side. The rich young ruler is a story that has been abused by people so terribly. And if you, you know, got a church background, you know it. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. It, it shows up in all three of those. We're going to read the one out of Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. Should be on the screen behind me. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? 
So he, Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said back, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not fight, blah, 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 blah. The young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man had heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now again, this story has been terribly abused. And we, um, Katie was showing me this Instagram post, some, some lady put up a post that says something like, um, poverty is not holy. And then just reading the comments was like this amazing Petri dish of theology and just it was like entertaining just reading through all the comments and watching all the replies I remember reading one comment that was kind of like super snarky and said hey didn't Jesus say to sell all your possessions and give to the poor obviously referencing this story and yes Jesus literally said that to this guy okay What's so ironic is people uh, will take that out of and it's so funny because people that say that have not sold all their possessions and given to the poor they think that only applies to people that have more than them, okay? And it's so, just, let's just go on a little logical thought experiment together. Let's just say that it's true that as Christians, we are called to sell all we have and give to the poor. Well, instantly, all of us are poor because we've all given it away. So we've got just a bunch of poor people in here right now because we've all sold it and given it away. Every Christian on earth sells all they've got and they give it to the poor, but we're also called to evangelize, to share our faith, to win people over for the kingdom. So we're out evangelizing and we, you know, tell somebody, but we share our faith and that person's like, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, what do I do? And we pray with them, they get saved. And then you're like, great. Now that you're on our team, you have to sell all you have and you have to give it to the poor. And he's like, well, okay. I mean, if, if, if that's what we got to do, yeah, sure. I'm in. So then, and it just keeps going this way, right? All, every new Christian selling all they've got and giving it to the poor. Well, eventually... You got a bunch of poor people that are all Christians and all of the wealth of the earth is with all the non-Christians. So then if you go to convert somebody, then they get saved and they're like, well, now you got to give all you have to the poor. But all the Christians are the poor people and we can't accept it because then we'd have to turn around and give it away to the poor, which is us. Okay doesn't make any sense. It's logically incoherent. That's ridiculous to think that that is a blanket prescription for all believers. What is actually happening is that this story is being taken out of context. Jesus is showing this man that he is self-reliant. That's what's happening in the story of the rich young ruler. There's obviously some angst in his heart. He comes to God. He's got everything. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's some kind of turmoil in him. Even amidst all his stuff, there's a hole in his heart. And Jesus says, oh, we'll just keep the commandments and you'll be fine. Jesus, being God, knows that his, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is, Jesus is not saying that if you just, you can just obey your way into heaven. He knows that it's impossible, but he's baiting this guy. He's bringing him along, trying to help him realize something about himself. Rich young ruler says, which commandments should I keep? Jesus rattles off a few of them. And then he says, all of these I have kept. Now that's the kicker. So Jesus says, oh, really? You've kept all the commandments. Well, then there's one thing you lack. Sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And he can't do it. Because what is commandment number one? You shall have no other gods before me. 
So God is saying, Jesus is saying, bro, you haven't kept all the commandments. You can't even keep number one. You can't even keep number one. That's what's happening in the story of the rich young ruler. It's not about money. It's about our own self-righteousness, our own self-reliance. And it's so amazing how people will pull these stories completely out of context and, um, and, and use them to, to justify where they're at. Instead of believing God for big things, understanding that God has a destiny for you, he's put a responsibility on all of us that we are called to be blessed, to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Another, you know, blatant um, misquotation of the Bible is in 1 Timothy 6 that says, money is the root of all evil. It does not say that. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Where is it? There it is. Got it. Here we go. Now, actually, in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, I think it's going to be on the screen. It says, we're going to kind of read the whole thing in context. It says, but those, starting in um, verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it doesn't say, but those who are rich fall into temptation. It says those who desire to be rich. Now, that Greek word desire is um, bolomai, I think, if that's how you say it. I don't speak Greek, okay? But I looked it up. And it doesn't mean like desire like I desire a burrito. It's different, okay? It's, it literally means to, to usurp, to put in front, to, to, to make priority, to make ultimate. So those who desire riches above all else will fall into temptation, okay? That's what this scripture is saying. And actually, if you fast forward a little bit to 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, it actually says, this is the apostle Paul giving instruction to Timothy. It says, command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things. Somebody say all things, all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. It says, who, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Not heavenly things. It doesn't say heavenly things. It says all things. It doesn't, the apostle Paul is not telling Timothy, hey, tell everybody who's rich to give all they have and sell to the poor. It says, don't lean on your riches. Don't trust in your riches. Live open-handedly before the Lord. Let be a conduit of God's resource in the earth. Good? Cool. Number two. Number two. Do you believe that being poor makes you more dependent on God? Now, it definitely makes you dependent on God, for sure. I'm not saying it doesn't. But does it make you more or most dependent on God? I would say no. I would say it actually makes you more dependent on people. You need the government to bail you out. You need people to bail you out. Do you believe that being poor makes you more dependent on God? The, the implication of this belief is that financial status and dependence on God are inversely correlated, meaning as one goes down, the other goes up. As one goes up, the other goes down. The more money that I have, the less I need God. The less money I have, the more I need God. 
But I'm just telling you from personal experience, that's not the way that it works. Katie and I have found that the more God has blessed us, the more desperate we are for guidance, the more desperate we lean into him. I'm actually seven days into a 40-day fast right now. I'm a little woozy and blood sugar's a little low. If I fall over, just give me a chocolate bar or something. Actually, give me something liquid and I'll be all right. And I'm not telling you that to think so that, you know, I sound so holy. I'm telling you, my wife and I are desperate to see God move right now, not because we don't have, but because of all that he's blessed us with. Surprise, mom and dad, this is gonna be news to you, but we're selling our house. My wife and I are gonna sell our house. We're believing God for a new home. It's, and, and we're desperate to see God move. And listen to me. We don't need to sell our house. We have a great, I don't really wanna move. I love it there. We don't need more space. We're, we, don't, we're not, we haven't outgrown it. We actually have two extra bedrooms. Like I, we, we have a bedroom for my, my son, a bedroom for my daughter, and then my office downstairs could also be a bedroom. And it's like my son and my daughter, they just sleep together. I'm like, we got you both. Just go, please don't waste this square footage. Go enjoy, you know, your room. We don't need to move, but we want to. We're thirsty to see God do another miracle. I'm, I, am, I am addicted to the feeling of living in the stretch. And I miss actually the way we felt three years ago when we were believing God to build this home that we're in now. I miss it. And so Katie and I have anted up and we're ready to see God do something again. And so we're selling our house. We're believing God for a crazy miracle because we're living in the stretch. We are more dependent on God right now than we've ever been. Not because we have not, but because God has blessed us. On the opposite side, do you believe that more money will fulfill you? That is a very, very, very dangerous thing. Now, of course, if I asked any of you individually, you would say, no, no, of course not, no way. But you'd be surprised how much this slips into the way we think. And here's how you know. Here's the little, the little litmus test. If you've ever thought or said, if we could just get here, and it would all be better. If, you can, if, we could, if we could just make X a month, whew, then we'd be on easy street. It would all be okay. All of our problems would magically drift away. Katie and I said that for six straight years. All the while, our income was going up. And it was always like, Next level, like, oh, if we could just, it's called Parkinson's law. Anybody know Parkinson's law? It's a sociological principle that says that expenses will always rise to meet income. All of a sudden you get a raise and magically there's some new tool at Home Depot that you never could have lived without. How did you make it without this thing in your life? Well, somehow you did it before you got the raise, but then you get the raise and it's like, oh my gosh, we need this, we need this, we need this. And expenses just magically rise to meet your income. That's Parkinson's law. A few years ago, um, actually almost exactly three years ago, while Katie and I were building our home, uh, we were, and a lot of you guys know the story. I mean, we put down $5,000 as an earnest money deposit to secure the lot, and that was the entirety of the Jaeger net worth. That was it. Just right there. And uh, they start building the house, and it's, we're, I'm just watching this thing get built, and the bank's like, hey, we're super excited to get your down payment. I'm like, we're super excited to find it somewhere. <laughs> just hang in there. <laughs> 
And I remember um, the bank came to us about a month before closing and it's just kind of, you know, it's just always complicated. It was all new to us. I mean, it was just like, I don't even know what language you're speaking when you're saying these things. And we're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, basically I have an LLC that Katie's 50-50 owners in. And for whatever reason, some of the income couldn't count. And they said, your debt to income ratio is off. I don't think you're going to qualify for this home. And so I just like spiral out of control. Your pastor. Okay, yes. <laughs> Happens to all of us. Okay. I got... Uh, attacked by anxiety and fear. And I was just so humiliated. Like everybody at the campus knows we're building this house. It's going to be really embarrassing when we're like, Hey, we didn't get it. And so I'm just like riddled with like, God, how could you do this? You asked us to step out in faith. I thought it was, and just, you know, all this self narrative. And, and then we had a Pathfinders keynote night, give it up for Pathfinders, our marketplace ministry. Come on. And pastor Colin Higginbottom stood right about there and this is important. My house is um, 600, we bought it for $606,000, okay? Now, Pastor Colin Higginbottom was building a home that I think is $6 million, okay? It's got a whole other, whole other zero on it. And he's standing right there on this Monday keynote night, and he's sharing how over the weekend, the bank called him and said, hey, we looked at your tax returns, your financials from your business, and we just don't think you qualify. We're gonna, and so Colin, Pastor Colin, owns a $50 million construction business, was just like talking about all the anxiety, all the fear, all the, and I'm just like sitting there and he's describing every emotion that I'm feeling. It doesn't matter where you're at financially. If you commit to a life of stretch, if you commit to a life of, of bigger things, of believing God for big things, you will be susceptible to these feelings, to fear, to anxiety. Here, I'm like listening to Colin, who's buying a $6 million home, has a whole other zero than mine, and he's talking about being anxious and being fearful and just really leaning into God. It's, it's just bigger numbers. All of the, the feelings are the same. And so it, it's not like if you just get to level X that all of a sudden everything is fine, magically, you know, all your problems go away. That is a lie. And it will actually rob you because you can't be faithful with your future season. You can only be faithful with the season that you're in right now. <laughs> Number four. Now this, one's gonna, this one is going to sting a little bit. Just... Fair warning, we'll uh, get you some spiritual neosporin here in a minute. <laughs> Do you believe God for financial miracles because your vision is so big or because your stewardship is so bad? Not a single hand clap on that one, okay. <laughs> Do you believe God for financial miracles because your vision is so big or because your stewardship is so bad? Katie and I have been participating in Vision Builders, I think, for seven years. And the first four or five years was just, you know, we would, we would commit to something. And then it would be like the whole year goes by. And then we're like three weeks out. And we're like, God, please, for the love, do, give me a check in the mail. I need something. Just begging God to do some crazy miracle. And he would, he would come through somehow, miraculously. There would be something. And we would, we, would, we would get there. And this year, God spoke to us and said, hey, the greatest miracle that I could do in your life is for you not to need a miracle. <laughs> the greatest miracle that I could do in your life is to get to the end of the year and you not need me to do a miracle. 
just steward your money well and you won't be begging me to do something crazy at the end of the year. And so this year, it's actually really funny the way that it all worked because um, Katie and I, we made a, a pretty big vision builders payment just a few, a couple weeks ago and we we're still kind of a ways off and I'm kind of starting to sweat. I'm like, man, we, we were, it's kind of getting to the end here. We made this big payment. We still got a ways to go. But then it turns out that we had made a recurring vision builders payment that we had set up, but it was actually under Katie's name, not mine. So it wasn't showing up in my push pay account. So magically, I look, and we'd been giving all year, and so we made it. We completed our vision builders, and I didn't even know it. So we were actually good stewards, and we didn't even know it, which I think is actually probably bad stewardship. But that's okay. We're all a work in progress. Big vision is so important for you, for me, for all of us. It's so important. It, it keeps you living. It keeps you believing God for big things. If your life is just, let, let's say you're in the military in here and you, you know your income. It ain't changing. You're not getting a performance bonus. It's just like, here's what you make. And here's what you're going to make 20 years from now. You can plan out your entire financial life if you're in the military. So believe God for crazy investment opportunities. Believe God that you're going to find a home on the market that's $150,000 undervalued. You're going to buy it, and you're going to be able to sell that home for $200,000, $300,000. Believe God for a side hustle, for, for consulting opportunity. I don't know what it is. Believe God for big things. It will keep you on the edge of your, like Katie and I, we're desperate to see God move because we have committed to vision builders, to building, building God's house. We need him to move. We actually put ourselves in a position where we have to see God move because of the vision we have. And man, it is an exciting, like exhilarating place to be. And lastly, as we come to a close, assessment question number five. Do you feel powerless over your finances? And I want you to, to know that, um, you know, I'm, Katie and I are, are still, still walking a lot of this out. And we have seen tremendous victory lately, but it's all very fresh. I'm not some self-made multimillionaire who's been sitting on millions of dollars of assets for years and years. I, I, a lot of you know the story. I launched out at the end of 2019, right before an unprecedented global pandemic to try to start a new business. I'm an engineer. I have an engineering consultancy. I do other consulting work. I'm not, I'm a, I'm, pastoring is my side hustle, all right? Pastoring is my side hustle. And there's been a, a long seasons um, in the past for Katie and I where we have felt powerless over our finances. And it just seemed like we'd look around and we'd, we'd see all these people that God was blessing. And it just felt like it was just flying over top of us and landing on other people. And maybe you're in here today and you see Rudy or Marco, these, these successful men who are generous. Maybe, maybe they get up here and they tell stories and you just, and it just, just doesn't land on you. And you, and, and you think, that, that applies to everybody else but me. Or that applies to just, just the, the select few. And I'm telling you, you're incorrect. In Deuteronomy 8.18, I believe one of the most important, maybe the most important financial verse in the Bible. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth 
There's no, no period there. It doesn't stop there. It's not just so that you can accumulate wealth and again, live in a, a rap video with Maseratis everywhere. He's given you the power to get wealth so that his covenant will be established in the earth. It is really, really hard to step into a, a God vision for your finances, for your career, if you're not empowered. If you're trying to just grit your way through it and discipline your way through your, you need the breath of God behind what you do. You need empowerment. And this is Pentecost Sunday. The day we celebrate the Holy Spirit, the empowerer coming and descending and resting on God's people to give us power. You need power to step into all that God has for you in your business. You need power. You know what power is? A little physics lesson. Power is a physical quantity. Okay, I'm an engineer, so I'm about to get a little nerdy for a second. Power is work per unit time. Work is a force applied across a distance. If I apply a force to this water bottle over a distance, I have in physics just done work. Work has been accomplished. The rate at which I do that work is power. Power literally means in physics, getting a lot done really fast. With that definition, who doesn't want a little power in their life? What may take you decades to accumulate, to, to save your way through. And listen, I'm not discounting stewardship. God moves in power for those who are good stewards. In the parable of the talents, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful servant. Now those servants multiplied what they had. They didn't just take what they had, put it in the ground and give it right back to the master. They multiplied what they had. They were faithful. So God's power will move in those who steward well. But we need power to get a lot done really quickly. That's what power is. So I'll just go ahead and hop to your feet as we close. I want to pray over all of us. And this doesn't, just this does not apply to you or doesn't only apply to business owners. It would be a huge mistake to think that. And to be honest with you, I feel like at times in our country and in our culture, um, especially with, with, you know, Gen Z and, and this current generation, we over glorify entrepreneurship. And we think that's the only thing that is success. That's the only, there's a lot of, listen, I was up in Seattle a bit ago. There's a lot of Microsoft employees who are doing pretty good. I was driving by some houses and I'm like, shoot, maybe I should go work for somebody. Looks pretty sweet. Okay, this does not apply. This empowerment is not just for business owners. This is for you if you're a teacher. This is for you if you are a police officer, if you're a firefighter, if you're a stay-at-home mom. We need the power, the breath of God behind what we do, what we put our hand to. And so I'm gonna pray right now as we close for just a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And then actually what we're gonna do after I say amen, I'm gonna dismiss the service. I'm actually gonna ask the ministry team to come forward. And we're gonna dismiss the service and they're gonna be here to pray with you. And so maybe you're, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it resonated with you when I talked about feeling powerless over your finances. Maybe there's a generational cycle of poverty where it's like your, your great grandparents, your grandparents, your parents were all paycheck to paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. And, and you wanna break that off of your life, then come forward here in just a minute and get prayed for. Maybe you're believing God to step out into a new business or not, not even a new business, but a, a, new, a new job at a new career 
in a, in a different industry, but you're just afraid and crippled with fear and you just, you, you can't take that step of faith. I don't know what it is, but here in a second, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to come forward as we dismiss the service and don't leave here with that. Leave here empowered. So I'm gonna pray right now for just a fresh filling of God's spirit, of the Holy Spirit, that we would leave this place empowered so that we can establish God's covenant in this earth, that we are God's vice regents. We are ambassadors for God. God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. He doesn't need us, but he empowers us and says, I am going to use you. It's a divine partnership. We get to be a part of the telling of the greatest story ever told. Not because God needs us, because he invites us to be a part of it. So come on, church, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for God, a divine purpose, God, that you have a mission for us to do. You have things for us to accomplish, God, that we're not just here to, to hold on till heaven, God, just survive until, until the other side, God. We're here to accomplish things, God. God, the late Billy Graham said that it was the marketplace is where the next great move of God would be. So God, right, right now we declare over the Eastlake campus of Awakened Church, God, that prosperity is gonna come on your people. Not so that we can just buy all kinds of new things and just watch money spill out of our pockets into, into things that don't matter, but we can have a heavenly purpose, God, that we can build your church, that the tent pegs of Awakened Church will expand, God, because of the resource that you're bringing to your people. God, we commit, God, to being good stewards, to living open-handedly with our finances, to being a generous people. And we declare, God, fresh opportunities coming to the men and women of this campus. God, I pray for promotions. I pray for raises. I pray for unexpected bonuses, God. I pray for new business ideas. I pray for new jobs, God. I pray for, God, Jericho strategy. God, Jericho strategy, where it doesn't make sense to just march around a city and expect the walls to fall down, God, but it's divine strategy. I pray for ideas and, and business tactics that don't make sense and are in the natural, God, but they're divinely inspired, given to your children, God, so that we can establish your covenant in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.